0: Welcome to the Good Hard Story Podcast, where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the exact same story. I'm Katherine Wolf, and I'm a stroke survivor, a speaker, an author, and co-founder of Hope Heals. Tune in here every week for conversations about wholeheartedly living in a good hard story. Join me in this joyful rebellion to the darkness where we discover the treasures hidden in our hurting. Hi, friends. We're so glad you've joined us today for the Good Heart Story podcast. You are in for such a treat. My dear friend and co-worker, the incomparable Caroline Young is here for our second episode in putting it into practice. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you. So glad to be back. Yes. Can you explain a bit about what we're doing here? What does putting it into practice mean?
1: I think so often this in this day and age of listening to podcasts, reading books, consuming information, watching reels, TikToks, the list goes on and on. We consume so much information that we might get a little bit overwhelmed and not even know how to implement it into our lives. Yeah. Especially when it comes to, um, yeah, just Christian mentors, authors, speakers. There's so much to take in. But really, what are the practical ways that we can take this information put it into practice in our own lives right. so that we can reap the benefits.
0: Exactly. How can we extrapolate for our own story while it's being largely put onto a stage or into a not real context like social media that's not the full picture of someone's right. story. So perhaps this is our attempt to combat that slightly in my own story, because I hate that. I want to spend my life combating celebrity culture, actually. So
1: so this is a good start. Which I love about you so much. Thank you. Um, so yeah, ask me anything, Carol. So we are going to take it down from 30,000 feet um, and put it on the ground with a first question being extremely relatable, especially in my own life right now, just walking— uh, alongside friends who are going through a multitude multitude of trials. Uh, yeah. but our, our first question is, what is helpful when a friend is suffering? Or what is helpful when a friend is walking through an ongoing trial? So not even necessarily just a one-time suffering event, but… Ongoing. Ongoing, it can last. Yeah, long yeah, long. that that question is
0: super important and multifaceted. Um, I would say that in the moment of first interaction, when someone's had a fill-in-the-blank, a miscarriage, a terrible diagnosis, uh, death of a child uh, or dear friend or parent or whatever, it's never to immediately make yourself entirely removed from the situation by saying, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine, or I don't know what that feels like. Like They know. You haven't been through this exact same thing. But what you can say is, I I know what you must be going through because I have been through hard stuff too, even if it isn't the same thing. Right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm in this. And Ultimately, what you're saying through a deep empathy and looking them in the eye is, and I'm not scared of this suffering you're going through. Mm. I'm staying in your heart. And I may or may not understand the specifics, but I'm not going anywhere, and I want to. Teach me. I think—you lo- want to ask a question? No, like- I just was going
1: to pull out one phrase you said and answering that question because it's so good, is avoiding a phrase like, I can't imagine. because right. <laughs> the suffering that they're walking through probably already feels isolating and they have a tendency to feel alone. And like the greatest need I think we all ever want to feel is that we're not alone in our suffering. So just avoiding those phrases that would make you feel more isolated in your suffering and just saying, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to sit with you in it.
0: Totally. One of our deepest human fears, they say, is if anyone knows the real me, They will leave, Mm. and that's times 10 in suffering. If they know how bad it is, they can't stay. Their amygdala kicks in. They will run, fight or flight. We we can't be here for this. I have to give um, Jimmy, formerly known as James, credit for that thought of uh, stop saying you can't imagine and start to imagine, cultivate an imagination where you get it. (laughs) I don't know where he got that. It wasn't from his mother, but I really like it. Like, you're right. Stop saying you can't imagine and get in there and try to imagine and then see what happens. Like,
1: hang in there with people. And I think so often we want, like, okay, well then give me step one, two, and three of what get in there and hang in there with people means. For sure. And the the honest answer is that like, there is no exact formula for it. Right. I think it's showing up, admitting that you don't have all the answers, admitting that you don't want to fix it, uh, that you're not just going to drop off a meal or send a text saying, I'm thinking of you or praying for you, that you're going to show up and sit with them in it and say, I'm right here in this with you. I'm not going anywhere. Right. Like This does not scare me. You are not alone in this, even if it's just— Putting your hand out for them to hold. I think presence speaks so much louder than words. Oh,
0: for sure. Time. The ministry of tears and the ministry of presence majorly surpass, especially early on, the ministry of truths and the ministry of casseroles. And in time, there's great ministry in not, hey, what can I do for you? But in doing it, like, give me your coffee order because I'm dropping it off in your house in 10 minutes. Don't even come to the door. Like, done not questions but more like direct i'm in this like not how could i help you during this time Mm. like yeah right they can't think that it's go time so I'm bringing this soup, and it has these ingredients if you have allergies. Love your friends. See ya. Like, love made edible is a thing for a reason. Something about the care of food is legit. That's not like a dumb, weird, southern thing, in my opinion. Like, when I lived in California and had many opportunities to be the recipients of meals, they weren't nearly as homemade as they are in the South, but people door dashing or having something delivered just says like, I care about you eating during this hard time and I'm not sure what to do. Right. So here it is. And that is awesome. But definitely don't stop there. Like there's so much more than a meal. Really what is behind the meal is what's so important is I am with you in this. And I'm not sure what to do, but at least I'm going to do something. And so you know... I care about you with food, yes, or with presents is the very best, but maybe it's a note, maybe it's a text, maybe it's a little something that you can Enter in slightly and stay. And I think there's so much to be said for curiosity in those situations. You may not know exactly what they're going through, but how about you ask? (laughs) How about you say, how are you doing today? Mm. You know, the classic line, how are you doing, is so ridiculous. Because how are you doing? I'm doing terrible. Don't you get that? My life's blown up. I'm awful. But how are you doing today? I think that's in... The Cheryl Sandberg book, um, Plan B, I think is the name of it. She talks about after her husband died, people say, how are you doing? And that's ludicrous. But how are you doing today is incredibly helpful because it gives a gauge, Narrows to, it
1: down, right, specifies the question a little and, bit.
0: And gives them an opportunity to begin the conversation. I um, also want to say that the very most helpful thing, and I've sa- said this before a lot, that anyone said to me after the stroke was, I cannot believe this has happened to you. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that unlocked so much because I was so glad someone else was in disbelief. Um, so many times we want to like, oh, it's okay. It's, you know, you want to minimize and not make it like, oh my gosh, this horrific thing happened. It's Try just to shocking. dial it down a little
1: bit. So Yeah. That
0: right. And I get that, but I so desperately needed someone to be also outraged and sobbing and saying like,
1: this is so terrible. I think what you're saying too is you were looking for validation. Yeah. Like you needed the people around you to say, I agree with how you're feeling. Like this is really hard. I cannot believe it either. And everything you're feeling, I absolutely validate and I'm not going to pretend that it's not hard by invalidating your experience,
0: right? Honestly, the most hurtful—the um, most hurtful thing people did after the stroke was to act like nothing had happened
1: mm, and try and to ignore it.
0: So many sweet, well-meaning family and friends who just like, well, it's so awful. We're just going to talk about something else, or mm-hmm. like talk about J- baby mm-hmm. James, or I'm like. My life has just absolutely imploded to pretend that nothing's changed feels ridiculous. Like, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room because it makes me feel like a lack of intimacy with you.
1: Yeah, and it brings on shame because then you feel like you're hiding something in the darkness and people around you are ignoring it when, of course, it's all you're thinking about. A hundred percent. Like days and weeks post stroke, especially.
0: It was it was so interesting early on in the hospital, and even at the brain rehab. So many sweet friends, family would come visit me. Mm And I almost was waiting for them to say something of, I can't believe you're here, but I'm with you in it. And like very few people want to go there because everybody's like, okay, I'm kind of nervous, but I'm getting up to go in the hospital room and see her. And I would have just loved the moment of like, wow, yeah, we're, we're here. Never thought we'd be here. And I'm just so sorry, Catherine. And instead it was, not that there were a lot of well-meaning people who gave really sweet Bible verse platitudes of how I was going to get through it, which which was encouraging for sure. But acknowledgement was um, what I longed for so desperately.
1: Makes total sense. It just we have to go against our human tendency to dislike and ignore suffering. Yeah, you have to tell yourself in the moment, like I need to be okay with this. Like I need to acknowledge that Jesus promised us that this side of heaven, we would experience suffering. And I'm not going to try to skate over it or ignore it or shove it down. I'm going to choose to enter into it and sit in it, which is a really brave and vulnerable choice. The ministry of tears and not having the words and acknowledging it and stumbling through it, that is the Brave and sincere way of showing up for a friend. A
0: hundred percent. I love your verbiage there too. The ministry of tears is a big thing. I think there is so much wisdom in that, that ministry of truth will come later on. But don't try to put a Jesus bandaid on a bullet wound. Call it spade a spade, like show up with the ministry of tears and of, you know, a hug and like acknowledgement and eye contact. You know, they say when you get to tell your story to an empathetic listener, it changes how you experience your story. Mm. That's not me. That's Dr. Kurt Thompson, but smarter than me. But he talks about that exchange of true empathetic listening does something neurobiologically to you that you are experiencing it differently. So my goodness, give that gift in the hospital room. Absolutely. Give that gift whenever you can, however you can.
1: It's hard to move on from this question because I feel like this is all so good and so applicable. The last thing I just thought of when you're mentioning that um, quip from Dr. Kurt Thompson was a short that we posted recently in the Hope Note from Brene Brown. Oh, I love this. So if you have, we can put it in the show notes maybe. But... If you haven't watched it, it explains the difference between empathy and sympathy and how sympathy wants to stay up at the top of the hole and say, here, here's a sandwich. Like, I love that part of the short, like, yeah. you know, that this could possibly, the band-aid over a bullet hole, like, how could that possibly be enough? Whereas empathy gets a ladder out, crawls down into the hole with you, right. offers a hand and says, like, let me shoulder this burden with you right?" So, and oh. like let me help. Like really, um. Yeah, carry it with you and so that you know that you're not alone. Yes,
0: so. and so beautifully, we can do that if we haven't had the same experience, right. 100%. But if you have, if you do know, then you get to be a living survival guide mm-hmm. in that moment, I call it. You get to climb down the ladder, look them in the eye, and say, you're coming out, too. I already did. Come on. And we all, in our own stories, do that in different ways because we've all been through hard stuff. So go back to the worst place you've ever been get down that ladder look somebody in the eye and say you're coming out too and that's that's glorious so good
1: um so speaking of suffering um and discouragement and despair which we so often hang out Uh, with sometimes we're not afraid of it (laughs) we're so fun (laughs) um how do you personally not get overwhelmed with discouragement you put up a really good post on instagram i think about this recently reframing the way you see carpool I think that's a great way of how you don't get overwhelmed with discouragement. But
0: oh, I hadn't hadn't connected that. (laughs) Kara, smart, but you're exactly right. Um, It's all about reframing everything. Like we can look at the very same picture and extrapolate incredibly different realities from that. We see it honestly all the time in our political system, which I won't get into, but we look at the same picture and extrapolate incredibly different things. And it translates to every area of our lives, that we can look at the same situation with tremendous hope and, like, gratitude that we're here. And it could be the wreckage of the nightmare that that has been. Mm -hmm. But can we cultivate gratitude for what remains in the story? I
1: think it's the key to life. Is Which I would say is a a discipline that you've chosen. I guess so. I would say— Cultivating gratitude for what remains and taking thoughts captive and almost like rewiring your brain so that you do look at a picture differently is something that you choose every day. I think I would say. so. I,
0: I, I'm i kind of living in Catherine's world a bit, maybe, but I love it here, and I'm going to keep doing it because I know that's i I'll not call so. it out and tell you that that is what you do every
1: okay, day okay. from a friend's perspective.
0: <laughs> Thanks. We're friends, Caro, and um, I do do that, but I kind of like it in Catherine's world. I'm going to stay in Catherine's world hopefully my entire life, and honestly, we all need to do that a bit more. Like, mm-hmm. I don't totally care what other people think about my choices, I'm going to be me. And in the world of you do you, boo, why don't I just keep doing it? It was through a Jesus lens and giving me hope to get out of bed in the morning. I think everybody needs to stop comparing themselves to other people Mm -hmm. and trying hard to live into someone else's world. No, I like Catherine's world. I'm going to stay in my lane the boundary
1: lines have fallen for me in pleasant places.
0: Absolutely. Psalm 16, 6 is it. That somehow the boundary lines are good. The, mm-hmm. the Lord is keeping me safe within the boundary lines of my specific story. And side note, my life has been assigned to me. It's no accident. So if I know there's intentionality behind the, this story I'm living, I can really live it like a calling. Like I'm on...
1: I'm on mission. mission. Right. That's very powerful. I love that idea too because so often others want to narrate our stories for us. Right. Like personally, I can think of like a lot of times how someone would um, like speak a narrative over my life almost uninvited. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you must feel X, Y, and Z or I'm so sorry that blank. And it feels a little bit bold, but maybe in the moment you interrupt them and say like, oh no, like you you know, you don't have to feel that way because this is how I'm choosing to view my story. Um, like correcting the narrative that someone else is speaking over your life, if that's not how you feel like the Lord has wired you to see it.
0: I talk a lot about like the whole idea of victimhood that I think plagues our world. And let me put a caveat on that. There are victims in our world, victims of domestic violence, trafficking. I mean, there's legitimate victimization happening in our world. But at least for me and probably for the majority of listeners We are not the victims of our stories when bad things happen to us. We can't actually become the overcomers of our stories. We are more than conquerors in Christ in our stories. So that notion of let's just all be be sad and have pity parties because we're the victims— it's somewhat ludicrous, I would say. I know this is like the most unPC thing to say ever, which is why I put the caveat on it. But it is honestly the truth. We are not the victims. My mm-hmm. goodness, we have so much capacity because of Jesus
1: to handle our lives. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you. It's not like you have no tools in your toolkit. He's given you everything. Yeah, Philippians four nineteen. He will, He
0: will supply every mm-hmm. need we have.
1: That's good. That's actually a really great like almost like step 1 is the ministry of presence and then step 2 when the time is right is equipping yourself with that truth and like learning to be resilient and lean into that. Maybe not right away. Right. After the suffering, which is what you, you know, clearly outlined. Yes. But later on down the fact when or later on down the line
0: Right. And then actually, maybe the next step is being a living survival guy, right. like we touched on. That right. You kind of get there to where you can actually hope it forward um, when you're kind of down the line a little bit.
1: Okay. So we're, we're taking a little bit of a left hand turn. Sure. Um, into the world of marriage. Okay. How do you and Jay work on your marriage currently? Or how did you, or maybe both and actually? Yeah. How did you guys navigate marriage in that season? immediately post-stroke, so really more in the acute phase of suffering?
0: Right. So um, very honestly, we married young and— there are wonderful things about marrying young. I definitely am not necessarily endorsing it. I mean, the Lord has us all on journeys. And because our journey was we kind of have grown up together in our adult lives, my therapist would say in the most healthy, non-scary, toxic way possible, we are trauma-bonded, which mm. can be a very negative thing, but in our case it's not. We, we've we had such—my my takeaway of that— is that we've had such like major, major lows that we kind of show grace for the stuff that just isn't perfect in mm. either one of us. Getting We're able, a massive
1: amount of perspective.
0: Yeah, it's like we've been to hell and back. Oh my gosh, so maybe if I'm kind of sloppy Joe when he keeps the house a little straighter, it's not the end of the world. Mm. And that's a kind of a funny example. There's more... Complicated issues between us, to be honest, but we have the ability to kind of show grace because we've been to, you know, the brink of literally me dying and subsequently caregiving, care receiving. I mean, we just have a lot. I mean, lifelong disability. Jay is the only driver in our house, which Mm -hmm. is very complicated. We just have a lot of dynamics that are hard. For instance, I am an Enneagram three. I am a people pleaser. I am wired to like make 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 him happy and like me. That's my A Achieve, yeah. He is challenger, deep, a challenger, like doesn't really care what people think, very like, I mean, Jay's tough. He's oh, yeah. wonderful, but he's tough. And, I mean, we can war, <laughs> like that three and that eight are, can be a very hard combination because they're very different. And later on there, we're both firstborn, <laughs> which is its own thing. We both want to run the show. We're both the cruise director of the family, we like to say. I
1: understand that but we all can't, too
0: well. We, I, I know, poor Caroline, you have been the recipient of many of— Oh, uh, 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 no, I meant being a
1: force, firstborn myself. Oh, um, right.
0: hysterical. But you also meant uh, sitting at our kitchen counter watching Jay and Catherine have a special marriage moment, and you're not sure where to look. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It um, real. Yeah, totally. But that it's it's kind of, I mean it's a little bit rough, but it's also amazing. Like conflict doesn't have to mean you're about to get divorced. Conflict mm-hmm. can be all about how you choose to resolve it. You can have pretty intense confrontation, and if you can resolve it well, you can keep going in it. I think um I've been very informed by the Tim Keller book, The Meaning of Marriage, Mm. where he talks a lot about that, that you can, in fact, not not have conflict. That's a double negative. You can have conflict, but it's how you resolve it that really determines the
1: outcome of your marriage. I love that answer too, because it's like, let's just take your marriage, your situation off a pedestal. Like, let's stop looking at all these picture-perfect marriages or what seems like picture-perfect marriages on social media and think that like they must have some key ingredient to marriage that I don't. And in reality, that's just, that's not true. And
0: maybe, maybe, quote unquote, they do. Maybe some one random girl has this perfect marriage, but that's not me. (laughs) And that's not most people. And maybe um, that's okay. Like, yeah. why do we need it to be perfect?
1: And I love what um Jay says too, because I think he gets that question a lot of yeah. like how did you stay? Or right. you're so you're such a um honestly like hero, sacrificial for staying. Totally. And I love when he redirects the question and says, like Catherine also chose to stay. Right. You know, yeah, like I do too. He— kind of tears that narrative down and say, like, it's a choice we're both making.
0: Yeah, I uh, love my um, strong feminist husband. Strong enough to say, like, Catherine stayed too. It wasn't just me. I'm not just the male savior here. Like, right. she brings her A game, I bring mine, and we do this marriage thing together. It's That's just awesome. such a awesome, empowering answer. Goodness, I love that.
1: Um, okay, so I think we've come to one of our last questions. Oh, yay, okay. I'm here for it. Awesome. Okay. So this is super practical. something that I'm trying to work really hard on in my own life right now. Uh, What rhythms, which are very trendy, I feel like rhythms are coming up all the time on podcasts and social media right now, but what rhythms are in your life that help you stay on track? So what are some things you're doing consistently that you feel like you can see a lot of fruit from? if you do them over and over again?
0: You know, one that's actually fairly new, I started in June, but it's a really cool one. Shout out to the other girls in my group. Um, I'm reading the New Testament in a year Mm. and um, just in a fresh way, linking up a lot of really cool gospel teachings that... Somehow here I am, 41 years old, like rereading in detail Luke. I'm like, there are so many stories about people with disabilities in the Bible. How have I never really gleaned this in many years of walking with the Lord? Or the Gospels talk so much about Jesus, like care for whichever group it is. And I somehow missed this my whole life. And I don't know, just fresh freshly engaging the gospel in a different way. I've never read the New Testament in a year. Mm. I've done the Bible in a year several times, and in my opinion, that's a little too fast. Like, that's Almost not really. When you're turning the it. audio
1: up on the Bible reading app, times two, because you're trying to get through the scripture you're, for you're the day,
0: exactly. <laughs> and you're deep in Lamentations. Right. Like this is this is intense. But somehow, just the the rhythm of the New Testament has been really cool. So I'm really loving that. Um, I, as you know, am just huge at camping out in gratitude in all mm. realms of life. Um, I definitely, as I previously shared, multiple places have a rhythm that every member of our family on the drive to school every morning shares something in their life they're grateful for, and I record it on my phone and have for many years, and the lists are obscene by the end of the year of all the things that we're grateful for. And what I am narrating um, throughout our gratitude mornings is what we are looking forward to in our stories. Mm. So that is questionable. Is that gratitude? Because it's gratitude what's already happened that you're grateful for, or can it be upcoming
1: things? I don't really care. I love the idea of it being an upcoming thing because it's almost choosing to say, like, I'm grateful to you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Even if I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I'm going to trust that you're going to be in the future.
0: Absolutely. It's been super important for me to narrate to James and John, like, our lives are good and they're getting better every day. This is so exciting. And not like some super stupid, like, or he's like, our lives are the most important Mm -hmm. thing and how awesome they are. But no, like guess what's coming up in the story God's writing? It is so good. Like, can you believe you're living this life? Like, wow, and gratitude that God's given us this story. I think that's huge that's, and so easy. One thing every day is so easy. So that's our little morning family moment. And then in the nighttime, we, we have family rhythms. But then separately, um, before I literally... Go to sleep. So after I've closed my eyes at night on the pillow, like it's totally silent. I've said goodnight to Jay before I go to sleep, I force myself to think it's so easy everyone to do this, like some good things in my life. Mm. Just some good things. and I just make a list in my head like, Every night, and it's uh, I have sleep problems, so it probably started with
1: like I want to calm myself. I want to calm myself yeah. and make my dreams really happy. But but it's taken off. Well, um, this science would say gratitude actually combats feelings of anxiety and depression. Oh, oh, I know. So you're by doing that every single night, you're quite literally rewiring your brain, like your I, neurological pathway. And see hundred
0: uh, uh, percent. So. For me, sometimes I fall asleep within five minutes. Sometimes it's more like an hour and I have anxiety about the next day or the Sunday scaries kick in or something. And for me, it can start like big picture, like, oh, my gosh. Or no, it can start really small. Like, this pillow is so comfortable. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love just the feeling behind my head. Oh, my gosh. I'm really like marinate on the dumb pillow you know, yeah. but like it does something to the neuroplasticity of the brain. Like, oh, wow, this is something like I can get on board with this. And then I find myself, you know, rabbit trail, like, I can't believe I get still live in this house. I can't believe that this guy laying next to me is my husband. And, oh, I'm just so grateful, Lord. And I just kind of start going. And it's like, before I fall asleep, suddenly I'm like loving it, loving very my contagious. life. Yeah. I mean, it really is very, very, like small and I'm not even writing it down. There's no book. There's no, it's just like the simple act of being grateful really Mm. like
1: takes off. I think too, we need to give ourselves permissions to put, like implement those rhythms. Like sometimes you need to feel permission to be like, okay, it's really beneficial for me personally to walk every single morning. And it's okay for me as a really busy mom or um, a wife or whatever it may be as a Um, woman who has to be at work early for her career, whatever, it's okay for me to make space to do what I need to do to stick to those rhythms. Like I feel like I've been telling myself a lot that recently, like it's only going to be beneficial for me to carve out this time and like do what my body is asking me to do so that I can show up more successfully in my life.
0: Absolutely. I, um, I think pretty much everything in our world is telling us the opposite of like live a life of deep gratitude. Everything says, like, you got to change this. You got to do something different. You really got to live your best life and not just the life you have. And everything is like almost be in a bad mood about it. Like, it's cool to be like, angsty and annoyed and like oh I'm just so stressed out and I hate what I have to do this afternoon. Instead of being a little more like this is awesome. I love this. And that's not like a stupid pie in the sky thing, but no, I, I really do. Like I yeah. I actually like this story and I'm almost embarrassed to say that out loud because you're supposed to hate your life. You know like you're supposed to be annoyed that these, oh, this is just so hard. No, it's not. It's not so hard. Like, Why can't you live it with joy if you want to? Actually, the definition these days is like you do you. Great. I will. Thank you very much. What if doing me means liking it? <laughs> She's preaching now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
1: No, I love it. That's choosing to be a joy rebel day in and day out sure.
0: Oh, yes. I'm a Um, huge fan. Rebel with Joy. (laughs) Caroline, what's good in your story? What's hard in your story? And how do you you live in the tension of both in your good, hard
1: story? Mm, It's a great question. Uh, What's good in my story and what's hard in my story? The first question resonated so deeply with me on this episode um, because I have a tendency— to run anxious at times. Like I really can struggle with anxiety. Yeah. Um. And it's something that when I do keep it in and I'm not honest about it, it has the ability to like really um, take hold, like uh, put up residence in my mind. But when I speak it out loud and I let my community in and say, hey, this is where I'm at this week, the um, amount of time it takes for it to dissipate, like triples. So although the anxiety itself is really hard to navigate and deal with and can really scare me at times, Some like a lot of people refer to it as the second fear because you're so anxious about being anxious, it can compound on each other. Oh gosh, yes. But what I've like, the good of all of that is when I let people in and I have my community show up and say, I'm not going to pretend this isn't happening. And I'm also not going to pretend that I know exactly what to do. Like I've had a few friends this week say, I've never really experienced any struggle with mental health, but I want you to know that you can come over for dinner. You can come work remote at my house. We can go on a walk together. I'm so unbelievably thankful for the good, solid, consistent community that God has put into my life. You and, have amazing community. Yeah. I'm very thankful for it. And and that is choosing to be grateful for what is, like in the midst of the hard. Um, is just choosing to, yeah, remind each of them, like I couldn't do this without you. So, I love to so any of my answer. friends that are listening. I love you very much.
0: Oh, you you do have wonderful, sweet people in your life. Um, and that's amazing. And some people do and some people don't. And I um I like to say for those who don't, you get to start it. Mm. You get to find the people without the people and make them your people. And that's how you do it. And I want to say, just to close, the sweetest story that I'm just reminded of um, about last weekend. Oh, my word. I was speaking at a conference in Virginia, and they gave my travel buddy and I, Chelsea Motts, a joining room. And we're laying in our bed. It's like 11 at night. We're in separate rooms and there's a weird drag race happening literally outside of a hotel. That sounds like Atlanta. And there's like a big, bright, like nighttime light outside my window. Mm-hmm. So there's light coming in and there's a drag race. And for those who know my messed up sleep, that is not cool for yeah, me. Because if I wake up kind of halfway, as you have experienced, things get weird. I can jump out of bed, fall. And since there would be no one in the room, it would be really bad. Right. So I'm laying there and in an hour goes by and I'm like what do I do I didn't want to wake up my friend in the next room and yet I'm not going to sleep tonight because of this drag race and this light coming in and because I'm so scared the second fear is that you said (laughs) that somehow I'm gonna Fall asleep, wake half way up, break my leg, yeah. So I finally get the courage to go in, and I walk in her room, and then I go back to my room, and I can't do it. I'm like, no, it's just too awful. I can't wake up. I can't wake up. So I I go back a second time after another hours pass. It's okay. one one thirty in the morning. And I go in her room, and her room is like pitch black dark, and you can't hear the drag racing from her room. And I'm like, I I have to sleep in here. And I so I'm like touch her foot. I'm like. Chelsea, I'm so sorry. Can I sleep in it like I'm a baby? And I, and she's like, Oh my gosh, of course, of course. And she promptly like just starts rubbing my arm till I fall asleep. And I was like, this is a picture of that like community. Cause I was so embarrassed and did not want to reach out. And then when I finally did, she was like, I'm so here for this. Absolutely. I'm going to stay awake till you go to sleep. And it was just so precious. So I love you, Chelsea. And I should say Caro's done that
1: like eight thousand times. <laughs> love you, Caro. I've done all the weird No, I love that story. I think that's that's our challenge and takeaway from this episode is be that for someone this week or ask someone if that's what you need. You need someone who's going to crawl in bed with you and hold your hands.
0: You do, absolutely. And stay awake while you go to bed, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Intercede really cool. for one another. Mm-hmm. Well, Caroline Young, thank you for being with us again. Love putting it into practice. Episode two in this ongoing series here at the Good Hope Story podcast. So tune in again soon for more stories and incredible people pointing us all to the ultimate hope we have. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us on the Good Heart Story podcast. To learn more about what we are doing, follow us on Instagram at Hope Heals. Check out all things Hope Heals at HopeHeals.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts, and please feel free to share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Good Heart Story Podcast is a production of Good Heart Story, LLC. It is produced by Leah Case and Mary Austin Hall. And I am your fearless and fabulous host, Catherine Wolf. Come back and join us every week where we believe that the good story and the hard story can be the very same story. We are with you and for you, friend.